0: Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. We are excited to keep walking through the Bible with you. This time, we're going to actually do a review on the Pentateuch and talk about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you like this, you're going to like all the other stuff that we're creating on the website and the app. So parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Head there and get what you need. And if you have questions or things that you want to see that we're not doing, let us know. We'd love to interact with you on that. Alrighty, Pastor Alex, we are going to do a Pentateuch Pickers. recap. Yeah, let's do it. And you uh, were a better student than I was in the sense that you kept all of your notes easily accessible. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. It's all on my Google Drive. Correct. So uh, we're going to rely on your notes here, and then we're going to interact on those together. All so right. take it away,
1: Alex. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I took a class at Trinity.
0: As we all did. Uh, yeah, as
1: we all did. Uh on Pentateuch, K. Lawson Younger was my professor, uh, one of my favorite professors at at Trinity, uh, definitely my favorite Old Testament professor. Uh, and he ingrained in us the theme of the Pentateuch. We had to memorize it for our exam, and it's been really helpful. And then even when w- we were talking about doing this podcast, I thought, man, do I know that? And I, I got most of it, but I didn't get all of it, so I had to look it up again. But I think it's a really good starting point for us as we look at the Pentateuch as a whole. And so these are his words, not mine, but he says the theme of the Pentateuch is the partial fulfillment of the covenantal promise to the patriarchs in posterity, divine human relationships, and land. So I think it'd be good for us to unpack kind of these, these three things. Sometimes we call this like the land nation leader right. promise here. You know, um, academics like to be academic and use That's academic weird. words like posterity Correct. and divine human relationships. And it said land, it didn't say like geography or geographical location or something. I don't know that would have been fun,
0: right, and our job as pastors is to take the difficult things that scholars say and then make them simple for people to understand, yeah, well, we make them simple
1: for ourselves to understand first, <laughs> and then then we google words like posterity. what is
0: posterity yeah I've never then, heard we, before. then we really hope that we can make it applicable and make sense for everyone,
1: yeah, isn't posterity in the preamble of the constitution uh, I yeah, I time. think I believe so their posterity to ordain and establish. The yeah. Fans. yeah, it's in there. Man. Yeah. All right, anyway. See, we're on for, it. Forget the Constitution. Look at I how mean, good. don't forget the Constitution, but forget it for this discussion. Look at how good we are at scholarship. Wow. Yeah, so we start with this partial fulfillment of the covenantal promise. So what is that covenantal promise? It's that promise made to Abraham right. that he would be great, his name would be great, and he would be the father of many nations. And then he gives him the land of Canaan. So our expectation or maybe Abraham's expectation would be that would all work out maybe in his lifetime or in his future generations. That would just get better and better. And you'd see that blessing continue more and more. And you'd see that, uh, living in the land be better and better. But as we've studied the Pentateuch, that's not exactly what happened. It's not really at all. Well, (laughs) I mean, it happened a little bit, but that's why the theme, uh, according to Dr. Younger here, is that it's it's a partial fulfillment, that there are some some ways that that is fulfilled, right. but it, it is certainly not complete. Right. And the Pentateuch is kind of structured as um, kind of pointing out in some ways they do better at that fulfillment, and then because of the way the Israelites act, uh, it goes away and it comes back and it goes away. As, I mean, that could almost be like Almost the theme of the whole Old Testament is like the partial fulfillment. And then we have the New Testament, which is like the foreshadow of the full fulfillment of these.
0: Or put another way, the inauguration, right? The inauguration of the full fulfillment. Because there's nothing that Christ hasn't done already for us. We can trust in him completely. He's already done it all. The, The difference is it's not finished. Right. So it's been inaugurated, but we haven't seen the final consummation would be the word we're looking for sure. there right so so going back to this old testament idea so you know you're talking about covenant fulfillment so the abrahamic covenant is one of a number of covenants even within the pentateuch right right or the so we're going to use the word pentateuch which also the other word we would use there is torah both of them are just the first five books of the bible that's penta that's the five tuke books right so the first five books it's a really creative name right totally that's basically what they do is they just kind of cram it all together, Pentateuch. So, the, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the five books. We call them also the books of Moses, right, or the law of Moses. Those are all phrases that you might hear used in this podcast or elsewhere about the exact same thing. And the first covenant we have is, you know, some people argue about this, but the edemic covenant, the idea that yep. God is going to... Love mankind, even though they sinned, and he's going to provide them a space, and it's going to be beautiful, you, you know, go have dominion, that kind of thing. Uh, and then even after the fall, that, that covenant still stands in some way, but just it's it's got a tweak to it. Then we move forward into the Noahic covenant, right, yep. which, again, is is the whole world. In a, so you got all of mankind, whole world. But the Abrahamic covenant is very specific. And so the reason why he's using that covenant versus the other ones is because of the rest of the narrative of the scriptures. Right. So what does that mean? so what we're saying there is that humankind is is in an utter rebellion we talked about this in the sermons we've brought this up repeatedly humankind is not doing what they're supposed to do and so god chooses one man out of all of humankind to tell the rest of the story and so really the abrahamic covenant unpacks and because of the abrahamic covenant we're able to have the mosaic covenant right? Because Moses is tied to the family of Abraham. Similarly, the Davidic covenant, which is coming, wouldn't make any sense if there wasn't if there was a king of Israel, right? So you have to have a king of Israel in order to have a Davidic covenant, but right. that Israel doesn't exist if Abraham doesn't exist. So you start to see that the Abrahamic covenant sets us in a tone here that's going to lead us into all the other covenants of scripture, even the new covenant and what Christ does on the cross, which is the fulfillment of the new covenant, you know, in the... And ultimately, the inauguration of the, the full fulfillment of what God's going to do with humanity, you wouldn't have any of that if God didn't choose a family and say, "You're my family. I'm going to do this through you." And here we go.
1: Right, right. And what the yeah the Pentateuch does in Genesis, you have that um, you know that narrative played out to getting right. to the point of Abraham. Abraham is Genesis chapter twelve. So you have right. kind of the first eleven chapters of Genesis really functioning as like a prologue. Correct. to Genesis being a prologue in and of itself to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And then you have Deuteronomy coming mm-hmm. in kind of as an epilogue where Moses is on his way out of leadership, passing on to Joshua. Now they're going to see the the partial fulfillment of land. Joshua is going to mm-hmm. lead that. Um, so Moses is writing Deuteronomy kind of as this epilogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could really say that the meat and potatoes of that covenant is Exodus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers.
0: Right. Right. So Exodus, you know, we talked about this briefly, how much we both love the book. We had a podcast a few weeks ago on just this idea. Exodus really being God removing the Israelites from a hostile land and moving them toward the land that he wants to give them right? Leviticus being the, the structure with which the Israelites learn what holiness is. That's really the whole point of Leviticus. It has, Mm -hmm. you know, we make too much of the word law sometimes even because it's, it's more of a, a covenantal desire to be close to you. And in order to be close to you, here's the rules of engagement. So you have to, in order to be close to God, you actually have to do certain things, act a certain way, be a certain way in order to, to get close to God. That's holiness. And, uh, really, we should read Leviticus and get done with it and go, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> that's not possible. I can't fulfill what what's being asked of me there, which we should be going, ding, ding, ding. That, that's, that's coming. That's, that's down the road. And then Numbers is partially just this realization of the Israelites that they're not going to fulfill it. And then they're freaking out. And then they rebel seven times, which leads to the wilderness wanderings for 40 years, which then leads us to a need for an epilogue. Sort of a recap of the story to say, here's what you've done so far. Right, right. And then, again, this
1: is borrowing pretty heavily from class notes uh, with with Doctor Younger. But this this threefold promise, you see it in the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Specifically, you see posterity or the family theme is dominant in Genesis 12, starting with Abraham through the end of of Joseph's account in Genesis 50. So you really see that partial fulfillment of this family is becoming less of a clan or a couple people, this group in becoming this nation. Uh, divine human relationship, that's part two, mm-hmm. is really dominant in Exodus and Leviticus. Yep. And I would say kind of as we move from Genesis into Exodus, it's not like a clear break. It's like you start seeing the the event of the Exodus and this family is becoming a nation, but then we start to transition to now, how is that nation going to relate to God? Right. And, uh, you know, Mount Sinai, there's this... this law giving in Egypt or, you know, out of Egypt. Right. Uh, so that divine human relationship is pretty prominent as we move into Exodus, but then Leviticus. Leviticus is all about divine human relationship. Like how how can humans approach God? What do we have to examine ourselves? And but then also how does God approach us? How does God set up a system in a place where we where he can approach us? So you see that. And then that land theme is pretty dominant in numbers in Deuteronomy. When you start taking the count of all the people and get ready to send them into the, the land and you're, we're on the, the edge of the Jordan. Now you guys are going to head in. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to take with you as you take mm-hmm. this new land. So, um, you see those, those kinds of themes They're I'd say they're woven all throughout, but yep. you know, definitely early on posterity family is real dominant then the divine human relationship is really established in, the, in Exodus and Leviticus. Then Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see the, the land uh, becomes a dominant theme.
0: Right. No, and that's a beautiful way to think about it and a beautiful way to look at it. And I hope, I hope that helps a little bit. You know, I, don't, I have not met a ton of people who are in the Christian tradition who come to me and just say, I love reading Numbers. the Pentateuch, right? I love Leviticus, I love Numbers, I love Deuteronomy. <laughs> so since mm-hmm. I haven't met a lot of people that feel that way, my hope is that the more times we go through God's word like this, and we're going you know, to make the commitment as a church to do this every few years, we're just going to make a commitment. We're going to read all through God's word from Genesis all the way through the end and do our thing. As we do that, our hope is that you'll just fall more and more in love with it, and you'll start to actually see the storyline. And so one of the things, the, the Pentateuch that I think we need to point out is the Pentateuch does not exist to tell us exactly how to do everything. Right? There's some part of the Pentateuch that, first of all, there's, there's various laws that are never going to be given, right? There's no law in Deuteronomy that says you should only spend one and a half hours on your cell phone every day or something, you know? Right, right. You, you know like, uh, or, you know, I've had kids come to me and they go, well, the law doesn't say I can't do blank. And they're like, there's no verse that says this, so I can do whatever I want. No, this is not all-encompassing. So so in one sense, the law is missing things intentionally. It's laying out for us a mindset. It's a a heartbeat. It's a thing that we're supposed to do or act like. So in some sense, it's leaving that part out. The other part of it is the Pentateuch also isn't necessarily telling us or giving us permission to do everything that everyone does. If anything, the Pentateuch is partially showing us, man, even the best of our heroes are kind of messed up, right? I mean, Noah's story ends with the garden... And in a drunken situation that happens in the tent, weirdness, right? Abraham lies a few times, and then has some strange interactions with with his wife and <laughs> kids, and they just and the servant and like. There's we, we should leave the Abraham story going. That's the guy that we're all supposed to like look to, and then Moses has some serious flaws, right? Uh, you see all the flaws in Israel. You know, Aaron just repeatedly lets everyone down as the, the priest. and So I think some people read the Bible and they think if it says it, I'm supposed to do it, right? So I've even right. had these, you know, I mentioned this in another podcast. I've even had people that say things like, well, they married multiple people, so we should be allowed to marry multiple people. And use your brain. Like if the Bible says... Other things, such as you are the husband of one wife or this this man was made to be with this one woman, you should use your brain and realize the scriptures are laying out for us how humans are supposed to act. And even the best of us don't live up to that expectation.
1: Right, and it's the whole prescriptive or descriptive, right? right. Is, is the Bible describing something that happened or prescribing something that we should do? Um, and I think, I think the is helpful for that. I think it's also really helpful in seeing... You know these these partial fulfillments make us hungry for Christ, right? Right. If you put yourself in the mindset of somebody who lived maybe in one of these days, this promise is given to Abraham, and then it's it's uh, there's a covenant with Moses. These the the common average person, right? Just common regular Joe, they're looking for the guy who's going to come fulfill all these promises, right? There, the, mm-hmm. even all the way back to the to Adam and the promise of, you know, the person who will come, the seed that will come in and, and bruise the serpent's, right. crush the serpent's head. Right. Uh, they're they're looking around, and they're saying, maybe this is the next person. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people were like, yeah, maybe maybe Moses is that guy, and then he fails, and then maybe David is that guy. Uh, but what we see in the, the Pentateuch is all these, you know, giving giving of the law, and then... Rebellion, then more giving of the law, and then rebellion. And it just what it makes us really hungry for is the person who can finally come, and and follow the law, right. and who isn't going to fall into this rebellion and is going to, uh, like I like your word, inaugurate this promise of posterity, divine-human relationship in land. Who can actually do that, like fully, and mm-hmm. and that's why you know when when I talked about Exodus a while back you know, we don't, we don't need another Moses, right? Moses was great. And he was, you know, the, in most Jewish scholars opinion, the greatest prophet ever, definitely of the old Testament. Uh, but he still didn't bring the full fulfillment. He didn't bring the complete fulfillment of these promises. Uh, us looking back today, we can say we, we get the, the fulfillment, the, the complete fulfillment in Christ. Um, but we don't, they didn't have that perspective. And so I think it's sometimes helpful for us to sit back and think like, man, they, they were really waiting for that Savior. But that's mm-hmm. that's so much, you know, how much more is that that we can uh, worship Christ for what he did? Because he, he was able to do that after a whole, you know, human history of failure and brokenness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that nails it right on the head. And if you look at all the names of these individuals, you know, Adam, meaning, right, man, mankind, but it's got a connection to Adama, the dirt. You look at Noah, meaning rest or noach, right? That's the the Hebrew name. So you're saying, okay, so man from the dust, you know, rest, Moshe, right, getting lifted out or raised out, Man, how does that not tie to, you know, who Jesus is ultimately? And then the word Joshua just really is, is Yeshua. It's this it's actually Jesus' name right. given to us centuries before, which just means God will save us. So I I've often struggled with when I talk to a Jewish brother or sister, and I don't mean a brother and sister in Christ, I mean a brother and sister human. When we're talking about this, I, I don't I don't understand why they can't see how the pentateuch's ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ. And then when we and they sometimes know the New Testament better than we do and they look at Revelation and they think man that that is interesting how it all kind of pulls itself together and ends up in this the the place at the end right posterity right divine human connection mm-hmm. and land right it's space space where God's going to meet with you and you go Revelation is the ultimate fulfillment of that. So how how do you not see the connection that God's desire for humanity in the beginning of the story is, is ultimately fulfilled at the end? It's 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 boggling to me. And I, I think one other thing really quick, and then I'll, I'll let you kind of take us home here is one of the ways that I've heard Genesis through Deuteronomy described numerous number of times is Genesis one through 11. You, you, you know, it's, it's the prologue. That's what you mentioned. It's it's the beginning of the story, but it's done in such a way that it's loaded with motif and, and beautiful symmetry and po- poetic language that then just gets pulled through the rest of the book. So when you're reading in Genesis and it says, you know, she looked at the fruit and saw that it was good, then you should look at judges when it says, and they did what was right in their own eyes, right? Or it, it, that, that's the same concept, getting pulled, and it gets pulled all the way through. So this Genesis 1 to 11 is really this masterful prologue in the sense that it, it sets the stage for everything that's going to happen. You know, you want rebellion against God, it's going to happen in the rest of the story, but here's the beginning. You want humanity uh, wanting, desiring rest and naming their kid Noah because they want to rest. Well, let's move forward to Hebrews 4 and look at how Jesus is the ultimate rest. Everything is, is set up in Genesis 1 through 11, and even some of the tension that you feel with Abraham and Moses and some of these other characters is all coming from that. Genesis 1 through 11, like you made the connection with Babylon and Egypt, in our Egypt podcast. There's no accident there. Mm-hmm. There's no accident that Exodus is a different type of, of Babylon, and that Babylon is the ultimate Babylon that's going to show up at the end of the story when we get to 2 Chronicles months from now. So just, just be thinking that through. If you're reading a story and you're going, this sounds familiar, it, it's absolutely familiar. The story is just getting repeated over and over and over again to help us see, oh, wow, our hearts are really messed up and we need somebody to save us. And then Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, one more thing to mention before, you know, maybe let's circle the airport once before we land this plane. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's really important to to mention how important land is to God, physical space. <laughs> I think in our modern Christian practice, at least in in my experience, we tend to so much spiritualized things that we forget about the physical world and that God actually like land is important to him Mm -hmm. and, and creation of the earth as a physical world is important to him. Now, often I think that gets lost because, you know, for the new Testament example, you know, we use the term flesh often in a negative connotation. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. don't submit to the flesh or we say, you know, don't be like the world. And we kind of think of the world as like out there and maybe physical, And I think that kind of maybe puts in our mind a wrong idea that physicality is not bad, right? It's actually good. And God created it as good. And God created the physical world so that we could have a space to dwell Mm -hmm. with him. And that's why he built, he, he created the garden and he put Adam and Eve there. And then he walked in the garden with them because he wanted a physical space for our, his good physical creation to dwell with him. Now, Adam and Eve kind of wrecked that pretty early mm-hmm. on, and then we continue to wreck that today over and over again. But physical space, that land, is super important to God mm-hmm. as, as his creation. And so his promise includes land. So we can't over-spiritualize everything. Now, we there are some physical things in the Pentateuch that were set out that are no longer physical things Uh in the same way you know we we talked about this in Exodus with like the temple, like God's temple is no longer a building in Jerusalem, right it's the temple of the human heart and right sacrifices are no longer offered on the altar we now live a uh we now are the living sacrifice that Romans twelve tells us that we are, and the priest is no longer a specific person that we need to go meet with but we are priests ourselves. So some of those things have been spiritualized in a sense. They've, they've been removed from right. some of their physicality, although we are physical people who are temples and priests yeah. and living out the sacrifice. Uh, but I I think we can't go too far in that to say that the physical world doesn't matter.
0: Right. No, I'm totally with you. and I And I think part of the reason why that happens is where god is moving no longer has boundaries or borders right that's even what a part of what paul's arguing in Acts 17 is the boundaries and borders have all been ripped down jesus as king so now we're thousand years removed from that idea and we've just sort of let go of it we also have some experiences where we've tried to take back land that we probably shouldn't have tried to take back to crusades you know so there's a there's some situations where we've misunderstood it but i love your idea and what you're saying and and i think how i've applied that is He is taking up space. It's just me. It's, I am the physical space that he's invading now. That's not to say that he's not invading the rest of the world. God can go do whatever he wants to do. But just think of it that way. Instead of a temple space or instead of the promised land, we we don't need to think like that right now. Now, there's a day coming where the city is going to descend on the planet again, and God's going to set everything up again. We talked about right. that with Revelation over the summer, and we brought it up again in this podcast. There is a day when the space will be completely redeemed by him. But in the meantime, I'm the redeemed. Right. You're the redeemed. Right. So the building we're sitting in isn't special except the fact that we're here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like the pendulum can swing so far both right. ways. We can be so over spiritualizing and say, well, I don't need to go to church anymore because God is with me right here. Well, that's true. But also like there's <laughs> a physical space that is kind of set up for us to, right. to worship together and we're called to like join right. together. But then I see the I see the pendulum swing back the other way and, and don't turn me off in the middle of this, but like I, I kind of have maybe it's just my own heart issue with like the holy land tours, which yeah, intent we're going you know to into yeah. <laughs> this year, uh, D- different purpose. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm totally purpose. with you. But but this I, uh, and maybe maybe this is just like one person I talked to had this this mindset and it kind of turned me off to it. But this idea that like. Oh, your faith is gonna grow because you're gonna walk where Jesus walked. I'm like, I'm walking where Jesus walked right now. (laughs) You know, the Holy Spirit is in my heart, and and (laughs) I can have that same experience. Like this, this physical place of modern day Israel uh, does not hold some special like magical spiritual power. However, I, I do think that experiencing those things can be very beneficial in our, in our faith because we can see the context a little bit better. Totally, And it, it is like, I, I do think there is value in um, uh, not sojourns. What do they call spiritual trips? Yeah. What, what do you call those? Things? Pilgrimage. Yeah. Pilgrimage. Yeah. yeah not sojourns. In Pil- spiritual pilgrimage, because it tells us, uh, it tells our minds like I'm taking a spiritual trip. It puts us in the mindset of, right. I'm going to be open to hearing from God. So if we go there because we say, well, if I go to this place, I'll be closer to the presence of Jesus. Like, that's not how God is using physical space. You know, the pendulum can swing that far right? that way or it can go all the way the opposite way and say, well, like God is everywhere. So physical space means nothing. So I'm not even going to get up and go to church because, you know, I can just do whatever. I'm not going to like ever be present anywhere because God's with me right. in my living room with my bag of chips.
0: So what I'm hearing from you is if I think theologically, I'll find a space between the pendulum. That actually is legitimate, and that the Bible enforces. Yeah, yeah, like that's so cool. (laughs) I wish we all thought like that. Yeah, and I think that in this in this
1: uh, particular topic comes to the center when we have a good theology of physical and spiritual space. Right, and I think the Pentateuch helps helps us understand that.
0: Yeah, sets the tone. Yeah,
1: sets the tone for how important physical and spiritual space are
0: so yes and and to to wrap it up with that idea so here's the the thing just to paint the picture for you all real quick so you can think this through and go okay i think i get it now the garden of eden is the beginning of that physical and spiritual space it's ripped apart because of sin and then you could think of the rest of the pentateuch and really the rest of scriptures as being god god's pursuit of humankind and that i think some have made that to be as if we're like a girlfriend running away and God keeps trying to chase him, And he does use language like that at times, but it's not even that he needs us. It's just because God is so loving and so amazing. He can't stop himself. That's, right. that's more of how to think of it. Cause I think some of us treat it as if, if God's pursuing me, then I'm so important. Of course he needs me in his family. He doesn't need you. The story is God's pursuit of humanity because he's God and he chooses to love us that much. So if you think of it that way, you'll notice that the rest of the, the, of the Torah or the Pentateuch is these, these moments of space where God meets with his people. So you've got posterity, you've got human divine interaction, and then you've got this idea of land. So whether we're talking about Garden of Eden, then we're talking about an ark, then we're talking about the beginning of a promised land through Abraham, then we're talking about the removal from one land to another in Exodus, and then moving us all the way to the precipice of that land in Deuteronomy, that epilogue all of it is saying the same thing. I have a desire to meet with human beings. I'm going to do it on my terms. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose this family, this posterity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have this relationship with, with humans. This is what I'm after. And I'm going to do it in a specific space. And what we're saying is in the New Testament, that all gets set very individually, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. All right. Pentateuch recap. You can look forward to a couple different recaps of the Old Testament as we get through those. But we've got a lot of reading to do before the next one. Yeah, we do. 'Cause we go Torah, and then Neviim, and then Ketuvim. Yeah. Let's <sighs> check
1: out the prophets and the writings. <laughs> All right,
0: everybody, thanks for listening.
1: Bye.